You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 239. Hey there, impact driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. Today, we are talking about five PMO confidence killers. We're going to tackle an uncomfortable but critically important topic. Why do so many PMO leaders lack confidence with their PMO and what can they do about it? Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by the PMO Health Assessment Workshop. It's coming up, baby. The PMO Health Assessment Workshop is taking place on January 30th, 2024. Make sure you register now for free at pmostrategies.com forward slash workshop. When you do, you are going to get two advanced training sessions that I want you to watch and a very detailed and comprehensive health assessment that I want you to take in advance of the workshop. So go register now because you need time to take that health assessment. It's the most important thing you need to do before you come to that workshop because we're going to dive deep into nine critical areas that every PMO needs to be looking at, starting with the most important, your reputation and influence. So we're going to go into nine areas of health related to your PMO what you should do about each of those areas, where you're strong, where you have opportunities for improvement. And then you're going to get a detailed 20-page report that I want you to bring with you to that workshop. So go right now to pmostrategies.com forward slash workshop, register for free today, take that health assessment, and I will see you on the 30th. Okay, let's dive in. As you may know, I've been in the PMO space for a very, very long time. I built my first PMO in 1999, and I got to tell you, my friend, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, but I wasn't afraid to make mistakes. I wasn't afraid to learn things the hard way, and I had confidence, not in every area, but I believed in myself. Where I lacked confidence was in, what the heck is this PMO supposed to do? And by the way, is that even what it's called? What am I building here? How am I going to make sure it's successful? And what do I not know that's going to get me in trouble down the road? There were a lot of questions I had that very first time I built a PMO, and I continued to have some confidence killers along the way in the various times I built and ran PMOs, transformation groups, strategy delivery teams, big transformational organizational change groups over 15 years before I started PMO Strategies, well, over a decade ago now. So I've got a lot of experience in this space, and I didn't always have the confidence that I knew exactly what to do and how to make sure I was going to get this PMO thing right, because every time I started over in a new organization, it was different. And you might be feeling some of those confidence killers yourself. So today I'm going to talk to you about the top five PMO confidence killers that I see PMO leaders face and give you some suggestions on what to do about each one. Now, leading any department or team comes with a lot of pressure, but I believe PMOs face a distinct level of crisis of confidence affecting their performance and morale 
more severely than other functions. Why? Because a lot of people don't know what the PMO is supposed to do. And there's a lot of bad press out there about PMOs. Many of them fail still today. The statistics from a decade ago haven't really changed all that much. A lot of them don't do well, and there's some very important reasons why. So I understand why a lot of PMO leaders aren't the most confident about what's going on with their PMO and if it's doing the right things and what are the right things it's supposed to do. The unique positioning of PMOs makes them vulnerable, straddling the fence between strategic oversight and hands-on service delivery puts you in the hot seat all the time. Throw in the responsibility of driving organizational change and that self-doubt can be paralyzing. But after years of training and coaching PMO leaders from all over the world, I have identified five root causes of this confidence shortage that hampers even the most competent leaders And we're going to unpack each one of those today, and I'm going to give you some suggestions on what you can do to boost your confidence and make sure that you're making the impact you are supposed to be making and the one your stakeholders and executives will truly appreciate. Confidence killer number one, a fuzzy or unclear PMO purpose and objectives. PMOs live or die based on strategic alignment, but so many PMO leaders tell me They entered the role unclear on the specifics of what the PMO's goal should be in their company. Leadership said, poof, you're a PMO, now go figure it out. And they did it because they wanted a mechanism for improvement, but they never really clearly defined the problems that caused them to want this PMO to be in place. Or they started talking about solutions without really digging into the underlying root causes some of which those executives were actually responsible for causing, and they didn't even know it. This ambiguity plants seeds of uncertainty that grow into these nagging questions. Should your team focus on project governance or portfolio reporting? Are you responsible for resourcing decisions or financial oversight? Or should you be just focused on templates and tools and process and just making sure projects have what they need to be successful? If you don't have clear guardrails or guidance from your executives on the PMO's role and responsibilities, you might be second guessing constantly. And the problem is that a lot of PMO leaders will go to executives and say, what should the PMO do? And that's not the right approach either, because guess what? They don't really know. They're not experts in PMO. And you might not be either. Or what you did at the last organization may not be what works at this organization. That's why in our Impact Engine system, we have an entire stage of step-by-step-by-step process that we take PMO leaders through specifically to do that assessment work so that you can look at all aspects of the pain points and the challenges the executives are having, all your stakeholders, the project team members all the organizational change components and everything that's leading to that PMO needing to exist in the first place. And then we get into the root causes. That's what's usually missing for a lot of people is that they just jump to solutions saying, I know the medicine you need to take. And they haven't really dug into what those root causes are. Let me give you an example. Let's take Jamie. She was the PMO leader at an engineering consulting firm. And when she stepped into the position, Senior management had only vaguely outlined 
that they hoped that this PMO would enhance project performance and efficiency, but it was so nebulous and not really clear direction. And Jamie wasn't really sure where to concentrate her efforts because everybody she talked to gave her all of these different things she should focus on. Optimize resource allocation, overhaul the intake process, build project tracking dashboards, try to squeeze more out of every project team member. I mean, it was just all over the place. And the problem was, was she spent so many months trying to nail down specifics from the executives who would just kind of brush her off and say, well, go figure it out. That's your job. That's why we hired you. And unsurprisingly, Jamie admitted to me that she felt so overwhelmed, doubtful, and ineffective during her first few months on the job because she lacked clarity, purpose, focus, vision, and a clear set of expectations and a plan. She didn't have a clear plan. And every time she asked, she got different answers on what to do. And that, my friend, is why you should not be asking your business leaders what the PMO should do. Instead, you need a process that takes you step by step by step through doing the correct assessment work, asking the right questions, and building out a roadmap that will get you toward the right delivery process. And do it in a way that has your stakeholders begging for more instead of hitting change resistance. So what did we help Jamie do? Well, first, we gave her access to the Impact Engine system, and she started going step-by-step step through our process. And the solution was locking down strategic alignment up front. PMO leaders have to push executives for precise definitions of the business problems that they want solved. The problem is you can't go in and ask how to solve the project problems because they don't know how to do that. But what they do know is their pain points and their business problems and what they need solved. Once that was clear, she was able to go through the rest of the assessment process and figure out exactly what needed to get addressed. And in stage three, she built the list of services and capabilities that she was going to deliver in order to solve those problems. Now, one of the things that was a big differentiator for her and really helped get her on track was understanding the full strategy lifecycle and that the PMO should be playing across the strategy lifecycle, not just in strategy execution or project management. That was where she was initially thinking she should spend her time just on the start to finish lifecycle of projects. And the problem with that is that that left her in a really bad position because that's not where most of the problems were. In fact, it was mostly because there was no prioritization, the strategy wasn't clear, the projects that were being worked on weren't tied to strategy. All that happens in the strategy definition stage of the three-stage strategy lifecycle. So understanding that and then understanding exactly what to do about it and following the impact engine process got her exactly where she needed to be. And by the way, it was just in time because she spent several months spinning and executives were starting to question that they made the right decision hiring her. So make sure that you have a clear roadmap on exactly what you need to do, in what order, how to do it, why that matters, so that you don't spin and allow vagueness to perpetuate an uncertainty that's going to end you with looking for a new job before you know it. Great news is today, Jamie is doing awesome. She is rocking it and she's even gotten promoted. So she's now running the entire enterprise PMO for her organization. So congratulations to Jamie for rocking it. 
Now, the next one that is closely related to this, reason number two for that lack of confidence, is weak stakeholder support. Now, even if you're armed with clearly delineated like PMO objectives and you understand what you're supposed to be doing, you might continue to battle with self-assurance or a lack of confidence because you don't have the support of your stakeholders in your corner vocally championing your cause. The PMO and the success of the PMO depends heavily on influencing without formal authority. You know that health assessment I mentioned at the beginning of this episode? The first area we look at is your reputation and influence because most PMOs do not have authority to tell everybody what to do. And I know, I know, if everybody would just do what they were told, we know better, everything would be great, right? Ha ha, not so much. So since we don't usually have authority in PMO leadership roles in the organization, you have to be able to influence, which means you need the right reputation and the right influence to move you forward. And that means your stakeholders need to believe in you, count on you, and support you. So when executive sponsors, managers of project teams, and all of your peers across the different departments don't actively endorse your role or give you the silent treatment or say one thing in meetings and then do something completely different when they leave, that is going to have you questioning, and rightly so, the legitimacy of your role as a leader in your organization. Okay, here's another example of where this happened. Marcus had been a veteran PMO director in the construction industry for like 20 years, but he then joined a new company where he was immediately met with skepticism because he came in with these plans for revamping all of their project control processes and how they were going to move forward with the PMO. But this new company did not like his approach. And he kind of went in with that whole, I know the medicine you need to take. And he sensed even the project managers were totally tuning him out in meetings. His proposals to update the reporting standards were continuously stonewalled by all of the other departments who were kind of in these territory wars with him because they did not want to do what he was trying to make them change. And you know why? Because it wasn't really what they needed. You see, Marcus had kind of just taken this approach of, well, this worked at my last company and the one before that, so obviously it's going to work here. And it wasn't actually the right solution. Marcus confided in me that this cold shoulder from all of his stakeholders really caught him off guard because he felt so confident that everything he'd done over the last 20 years, he kind of knew. He was the expert, right? So he knew the medicine they needed to take. And this is a person that was really normally unflappable in his confidence that he built because of his impressive career. But he told me that he was left feeling isolated and powerless to make any kind of an impact, all because the key players, the project managers, the functional managers in the departments, and even the executives were refusing to outwardly validate or reinforce his role because they thought that what he was trying to bring to the table wasn't actually going to solve their problems. And they actually weren't wrong. So Marcus and I talked about hitting the reset button. Again, we went back to go back to stage one, go through the impact engine system, look at the whole strategy lifecycle, go through stage two, where we ask all the right questions, understand the pain points of our stakeholders, and really get to the root cause of what matters to them most. 
You see, when you're hitting stakeholder resistance, it's because you're trying to give them something they don't think they want or need. So stop doing that. Instead, Marcus had to take a huge step back, identify the influencers in all of the areas in different departments like IT and finance and operations, and spend time actually getting to know the stakeholders from project managers to the functional manager peers and ask them what their pain points were and what the business problems were that they needed to solve, not the project problems, the business problems. Once he understood that, he realized that his approach about focusing on reporting standards and compliance and all these things, control processes, weren't actually going to help them when their bigger problems, again, just like Jamie, were at the front end of the process, were actually much more about lack of prioritization and lack of a clear alignment with strategy and resources being allocated that weren't the right resources for projects and then other things like not having the tools and resources that the project people needed to get their work done and everyone doing it everything differently. When he actually listened to what their challenges were, he was able to bring them along the journey with him because they could together uncover the root causes and do something about it. And that was huge. Today, Marcus is back to being in a really influential role in the organization. He's super happy. And because of this shift in mindset, he finally has the trust and support from his stakeholders. And they now go to the PMO and bring new problem after new problem to Marcus and his team, which, by the way, he's been able to grow because he got a lot of support and funding because he was actually solving the right problems. And now he's got more work and credibility than he ever thought he was going to have in this role. So way to go, Marcus. And again, another way to change this whole perspective and get that stakeholder support you really need. Okay, confidence killer number three, actual lack in skill or experience. Now, sometimes this competence question is unavoidable. If you frankly look at your experience and you identify that you don't have a lot of experience in the kind of problems your business leaders are trying to solve. For example, you could be a project manager that then got promoted into this role of a PMO leader and you've never done it before. I've been there, my friend. I did that in 1999. I was a senior project manager and then was put in the role of setting up PMO for my very first time. And that can lead to a little bit of imposter syndrome because you aren't really sure if you know what to do. But the good news is, is you don't have to know everything, you have to know how to ask really good questions. Imposter syndrome runs rampant among PMO professionals. Data shows that over 70% of PMO leaders struggle with feeling like a fraud. 70%, that's outrageous. They secured the leadership job, but secretly feel unqualified compared to the inflated perceptions of their abilities. And sometimes you might even see this with some people that you see that seem to have a really big ego or seem to be very boastful about their skills or strengths, sometimes they're the ones that are hiding that they're actually not really sure what they're doing. And if this is you, listen, I totally get it. I've had so many PMO leaders tell me in confidence that they're afraid that they're doing it wrong and they're not sure what to do. And again, that's why they come and join us in our mastermind and we give them the strengths and the skills and the experience and the confidence to do this job so well. 
I saw this play out with Simone, whose directors selected her to establish the PMO in a retail company because of her project coordinator background and experience, but she had absolutely no exposure to the skills that were needed to do the role of a PMO leader. When meeting with her IT folks about a dashboard design, she completely froze when they peppered her with all kinds of technical questions that she couldn't confidently answer. And she left questioning if she was even the right person for the job. And here's the thing. If you're in a situation like that, it's okay to say, I don't have the answer, but I'm going to get you the answer. And here's where I'll get back to you. One of the challenges that people have and why they feel imposter syndrome is because they feel like they have to have the answer to every question all the time. And that's just not the case. But what you do have to know is how to find the answers. So if you find yourself in a situation where it's something you don't have an answer to, whether it's something more technical or if it's simply about trying to figure out how to do this role well and it's your first time, that's okay. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do need a guide by your side supporting you. That's the whole reason we have almost 250 episodes of this podcast now out there is to help give you the guidance and the support and the resources and to build that confidence and have the answers to those questions. And if this is your first time, I would highly recommend that you join the Impact Engine system and our Impact Accelerator Mastermind program so that I can personally coach you, guide you, support you, and give you all of the confidence you need with a program that just makes sense and absolutely works to support you on that journey. So like I told Simone, it's okay to have competency gaps, especially if you're doing something for the first time. People usually don't expect you to know it all if you've never done it before. But what you do have to be able to say is, I don't have the answer now, but I'm going to figure it out. And that level of confidence and belief in yourself that you will figure it out goes a long way in others believing in you and having confidence in you. Okay, let's go to reason number four organizational resistance. A fourth killer of confidence for a lot of PMO leaders is organizational resistance to change. Now, I can't tell you the number of times I've asked people, do you believe that people are resistant to change in your organization? And everyone says, yep, my organization and the people in it are resistant to change. But here's the truth. That's just not true. People are not resistant to change. People are resistant to having change done to them. And you know this because so many of those people you know have done so many changes to themselves willingly all the time, like getting married, having children, changing jobs, starting a hobby. People love change when they own it, when they're in control of it. So as I mentioned before, pushing new processes on people inherently will come with friction. And change management is a monumental portion of the PMO leader role. That's why we have a whole section on it in our new PMO health assessment, that detailed health assessment I want you to go take. That assessment has a whole section on organizational change management because it's so fundamental to your success. But when early initiatives blow up, thanks to the skeptics across the business, that's going to undermine your plans. And recovering from that is going to be a lot harder than you think, which is why you have to start with your stakeholders and build change support along the way. I saw this happen with Sandra when she came to me totally frustrated and overwhelmed. 
Now, Sandra had decades of successful transformation experience under her belt, but taking the reins as a PMO leader in a new organization, she was immediately hit with cultural opposition to the changes that she wanted to make, which she just knew were going to boost productivity. And that's what she thought she was there to solve. She led training on new intake processes for projects and workflows, and the attendees at this training overtly and boldly and a little bit rudely questioned the value in shifting to this whole new established system she'd put in place. Now, her attempt to demonstrate the opportunity cost through pilot projects was interrupted because the CIO refused to provide any support because he was not brought along with the change and thought that what she was doing was just going to slow his people down. This left Sandra deflated and doubting that she had what it took to actually lead this new team, and she almost quit. That's when I talked to her and helped her understand that what she did wrong was not in the actual services she was trying to deliver, but in how she was engaging or not engaging with stakeholders to bring them with her through the process. I had her go back and do all the work in stakeholder engagement that we talk about in stage two in the impact engine system and do all of the right engagement early and often. And after a little bit of a reboot of her approach to soften all of these like hardened minds and frustration from the executives, even the CIO, she was able to bring them with her through the process. You see, the gap was she hadn't spent any time telling the CIO or anybody else in the department why this was actually going to help them in terms that they cared about. You see, she kept focusing on what was in it for her and what she thought they cared about instead of actually asking them what they cared about and then using that to give their them what's in it for me, for them, back to them. So we had her use our five-step communication process. And when she did, she completely changed her relationship with all of these stakeholders because they understood what the problems were that they wanted solved because she was talking about their problems, not what she cared about, took them through the solution and talked about the outcomes and the impacts and how they were going to be able to actually measure success in terms they really cared about. So now... Sandra, again, is rocking it and things are going well, but she had to let go of this mindset that people were just resistant to change and actually change her mindset to bring people with her through the change process. And then everything changed for her. Now, one last confidence killer that I want to talk about is the eroding confidence that is probably one of the most critical, and that is the uncertainty whether your PMO is actually delivering tangible business value. PMO leaders have this intimate knowledge of the things they do and the value that they might be driving at a project level, but a lot of them don't take time to talk about how that affects the bottom line and the impact at a more organizational or strategic level. This unclear alignment that we've discussed earlier with other examples makes it unclear that the PMO is actually doing something meaningful for the organization. Even if your PMO has clear goals, showing how things like better processes actually boost revenue can be a little tricky. The links between project best practices and business growth can be complicated. 
And basic Excel reports can't really prove those connections. For example, Melanie worked at a telecom PMO, and she created all these standards to get new technology deployed faster. But when executives asked if those process improvements actually ended up increasing sales in the quarterly meetings, Melanie struggled to confidently connect the dots and just kind of blankly stared at them and just kept referring back to her process improvements, not the results they were creating. She didn't have any metrics to showcase how faster deployments were happening and translating to more profits for the company. So she didn't have any hard proof and she had a hard time in that meeting and was pretty embarrassed. She called me immediately after that meeting, freaking out, thinking that she was never going to be able to go into one of those executive meetings again. So for you to actually build real confidence, your PMO needs to put in the work to gather and then demonstrate the impact to the return on investment and the real value that you're driving for each of the services and capabilities you deliver. It's not enough to say the projects we manage are on time, on scope, on budget. Who cares if that project shouldn't have been done in the first place or if that project actually ended up just breaking even? So what if it's on time, on scope, on budget? If we didn't make any money, our money could have been better spent somewhere else. Or it might not be money. It might be brand reputation or some other softer benefits. But those benefits have to have a worth it factor. And a lot of times PMO leaders don't take the time to look at that and then look at how can you actually talk about the services, the capabilities, the improvements you're making as a PMO and how those improvements are truly helping to make an impact at the organizational level. What is the bottom line result your PMO is creating for all of these improvements you're putting in place? So for each service or capability you deliver, every improvement you want to make, make sure that you define what those clear processes are and not just the output metrics, but the outcome and the impact metrics that are actually what the business leaders care about. You do that and you're going to build your confidence and your brand and reputation in the organization fast. Quantify things like time savings and then link that to revenue increases or cost reductions. Showcase value in the universal language, the love language of many, money or other value terms that your business leaders really care about. You must create irrefutable data linking your work to results and impact that matters to the organization. The key is tying your PMO contributions to the strategic objectives and the outcomes and the impacts in no uncertain terms. This proof will dispel any doubt, build credibility, and earns the investment that you need from others to continue to make a big impact with your PMO. And if you do those things, you will have confidence, my friend, because it will be undeniable and the facts will simply speak for themselves. So to wrap up here, I just want to say it's totally okay and understandable if you are feeling a little less than confident, just like some of these other impact engine system students that we've had go through our program, they started from a lack of confidence. And you know what? They're doing amazing today. And I am so very proud of each of them. So it's okay if you're feeling a little lack of confidence. Use some of the suggestions here. Make sure to join us for our free PMO health assessment workshop on January 30th. 
and take our comprehensive nine different category PMO health assessment today so that you can find out how you're doing on reputation and influence, stakeholder engagement, organizational change management, performance management, strategic alignment, portfolio management, governance, training and career development, and of course, project management. I'm going to give you a detailed report telling you exactly how you're doing today, where you have an opportunity to boost your confidence because you're doing pretty well, and where you have opportunities for improvement. So go ahead and register for the workshop today and take your PMO health assessment. The workshop link is pmostrategies.com forward slash workshop. And the health assessment, if you are listening to this after January 30th, is pmostrategies.com forward slash health. Go take that health assessment, join me for the workshop, and I cannot wait to help you make a bigger impact in 2024 with your PMO. That's it for this episode. If you are loving these episodes, make sure you hit subscribe, download these episodes so that they are with you on your mobile device, no matter where your high impact journey takes you. And if you love what you're listening to, please, please, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player so that others know how to find these episodes and join us on this high impact journey one project at a time. Bye-bye for now.